2: We are ten and a quarter years into our run, and we barely scratched the surface of all the great music we want to share. To say nothing of saving you from all those Trash It records, I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Today we're sharing some of our favorite moments in
0: the show's history as we look back at the first 500 episodes of Sound Opinions.
2: Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. The world's only
0: rock and roll talk show is making its debut tonight on Chicago Public Radio.
2: And we've got a great show for you. We've got John Cale in the studio performing with his band, and we're going to interview him going way back to his early days in the Velvet Underground and up to his phenomenal new solo album, Black Acetate. We've got record reviews of the number one debut by Madonna, The number one debut by System of a Down, a couple of the biggest records at the end of the year last few weeks.
0: We're also going to pop
2: a quarter in the Desert
0: Island jukebox later on in the show. But first, as always, we've got some music news. Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. My partner is Jim Dirigatis, And that was some audio from our very first episode on public radio in December 2005, when Jim's voice was probably, I, I guess an octave, I mean, let, let's use musical terminology
2: here, maybe an octave higher than it is now. Uh, they're saying, our producers <laughs> are saying I sounded like a chipmunk. I, when I listen to that now, I hear nerves. We were a little yeah. nervous about coming to public radio. The studio we were taping in had this bronze bust of Studs Terkel, mm-hmm. all right, looking yeah. down on us. It was a little intimidating. We were coming to the house that I were Glass built, okay? Right, right. Now, yeah. we, we had done sound opinions for seven years on commercial radio together, but coming to public radio and reaching this audience had been our goal all along. And here we are, 500 shows later. We made it to the
0: 500-show milestone in June, and what we're doing today is we're going to look back at a few of those highlights and a few of those shows. You know, our producers helped us pick these out. We kind of... Thought we knew what we did back then, but our producers have sort of nailed a few moments that they think define the show. And I'm a little worried because I'm thinking, you know, how are we going to sound in these episodes? But the thing is, a, a lot of what we do, Jim, is starting conversations about music rather than ending them. I think a lot of people say, you know, critics, you think you know everything, coming down from the mountaintop telling us what to think. I think our attitude on this show, or at least we've tried to
2: project that, is that we're starting the conversation instead of ending it. We never want to be the final word. We want to get the ball rolling. You know, you are still at the Chicago Tribune, Greg, in that very first introduction to show number one. I was at the Chicago Sun-Times. I spent 15 years there. I was proud to call Roger Ebert a colleague, and he was a hero of mine. And you worked with and were friends with Gene Siskel, and the Mm -hmm. elevator pitch for this show – Always was Siskel and Ebert talk about rock right. on radio instead of television. So you know, for the last five years, I've been teaching full time at Columbia College Chicago, as well as writing about rock and doing this show. You know, and it strikes me now whenever I mention Siskel or Ebert, the twenty-two year old students don't know. Right? We we may now have been around long enough that people who are trying to do podcasts are saying, "I want to do a podcast like Dierogottis and Cot."
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Forget about Gene and Roger. And and do it better than
2: those guys. Well, that wouldn't be hard.
0: But I think one of the great gifts of being able to do something like this is to be able to talk to some of our heroes in depth. And near the very top of that list, if not at at the very top, I would say would be this guy that we're going to talk to.
2: Our first guest, John Kale, co-founder of the Velvet Underground one of the things we pride ourselves in in doing interviews is, because of our history of, as journalists and critics, being able to take artists someplace deeper. And I knew that Cale had dedicated this song I'm about to ask him about to his daughter. And I think, you know, this man is a legend who's been doing this for half a century, yeah. one of the most important bands in rock history to both of us. And here's a moment I've never heard or seen or read about anywhere else. John, why is Gravel Drive dedicated to your daughter, Eden? Oh, it's my way of telling her that it wasn't explained sufficiently to her when she was
1: small that Dad goes away because that's his job. Hmm. He goes on tour and he comes back. And then, you know, one day Dad didn't come back. So this
2: is my way of saying Dad's back. Yeah, Uh, He never left. There's a, a, a great picture of her uh, in your book where, where she's playing with the Warhol balloons at the yeah. Pittsburgh Museum yeah I mean it had, had to be you know they, they, I'm sure there were downsides, but it also had to be some, some great sides to having dad to have had as many experiences and know as many people as you do. yeah, she's dealt with it pretty well.
0: Did she give you a response on the song? Did you have you talked to her about: yeah, it? Yeah we you know a little few tears you know mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's interesting that music can be maybe a way of saying some things that uh, you couldn't say yeah. in, a, in a conversation that's right? very important. <laughs>
1: Journeys of a lifetime
3: Leaving from here Traveling the edges Like footsteps on a gravel
2: That's John Cale with a live performance of Gravel Drive. Incredible, Greg. Our first show on public radio, December 2005. Yes, Cale set a pretty high bar for us, Jim. But i have been we, downhill
0: since yeah, then. <laughs> well, you know, a few times I think, man, this is just as cool as that. And I, I felt that way with Bootsy Collins. Oh, when, yeah. I, when I heard that we were going to be able to talk to Bootsy, I was just impressed. I just, I just loved the opportunity. And and why? Bootsy Collins, as a teenager, playing with one of the greatest musicians pioneers of the 20th century he was a bass player for James Brown in the late 60s early 70s and then moving on to George Clinton yeah. in Parliament Funkadelic you know a few months after that this amazing story about how he first met Clinton
2: and as you've said many times, he's told stories that we can't possibly air. Oh, you've <laughs> got to come up to us if you ever run into us at a bar or a rock club or at a bookstore and ask us about the stuff we had to cut out of the Bootsy interview, as long as you're over 18. Exactly. Here's Bootsy Collins on Sound Opinions. Bootsy, after backing James Brown in the 70s with the J.B.s, your next move was to Detroit to start yeah. working with George yeah. Clinton. How'd that come together?
1: Well, actually, we get a call from the spinners who initiated the move and who initiated the whole thing about hanging in detroit they wanted us to come up to be their band you know we, we wanted to go up there and be the band for the spinners but at the same time we were so sick and tired of playing behind singers we wanted to actually be a band you know we wanted to be freaks you know we wanted to be the first band we wanted to be uh, one of the main bands that that just freaks everybody out and um when we get there, we run into this girl named uh, Malia Franklin. We're playing at a club, and she says, uh, Man, have y'all ever heard of Funkadelic? And we was like, "Uh, You know, we kind of hear about them every now and then, every gig or two we come across, and people say we look and sound like Funkadelic. She told us that uh, we need to meet George Clinton. I told her to go ahead and set it up, because um, he sounded like somebody I wanted to meet. Sure enough, went over and met with him, and... Man, that was a freaky, uh, that was a freaky <laughs> deal. I mean, to go to George Clinton's house and knock on the door, and the door opens like, um, you know, one of those haunted house kind of screeches,
2: <laughs>
1: you know, that kind of thing, That the Adams family thing. Mm-hmm. And I walk in and I look around. It's like black lights everywhere and no furniture. And then I see this thing sitting over in the corner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's George. <laughs> what is she on? <laughs> oh man! So as soon as I saw that, I knew. I was like, "Yeah, this is this is it for me." Everything we talked about, we set out to do. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Oh, oh. That was Bootsy Collins interviewed on Sound Opinions in 2011. And Jim, another highlight, and I I don't think we could have done a retrospective show like we're doing here, looking back at 500 shows of Sound Opinions without uh, (laughs) getting to this next guest.
2: Well, when you think about the two of us sitting down in a room alone with Yoko Odo, our producers and her people in another another part of the studio, I mean, Greg, there's probably no woman more famous on planet Earth right now. Mm. Infamous sometimes, wrongly so, uh, the woman who broke up the Beatles, right? There's all these cliches we know her history it was the first time i was interviewing her in person i think you chatted with her before you know we wanted to go deep but we got her to warm up by talking about being this young woman from japan came to new york didn't know anybody and within a couple of months is playing with jazz greats in the improvisational scene like ornette coleman right and we could both see the light Mm. switch on (laughs) These guys are not just going to sit here and ask about why did I break up the Beatles. These guys know who I am, and what a wonderful conversation we had from there.
0: There was a side of John's music that that, that came out when he started collaborating with you. I mean, it must have sounded like just pop music to you, uh, like kind of like what, what do, what do <laughs> yeah. I, how do I belong in this world with what the Beatles were doing was what I'm saying.
4: Well, you see, but in the avant-garde, when I was in Sarah Lawrence and I was making sort of music. Composing music that was like uh, twelve tone or something like that, and it was getting so difficult. I just didn't enjoy it so much, <laughs> you know. And I was thinking, wow. And then when I met John and uh, the the rest of them and all that, and and what they were doing was, um, well, uh, well, maybe it's not the way to. T- uh, expressive but it's sort of simplistic and but beautiful you know mm. and I really enjoyed that I thought wow this is what you you don't have to do 12 tone you do this you, know, you can crazy. have fun and you can have fun too you know mm-hmm. and so I just got got into it and I was very very happy about that it was Very, it was a relaxing kind of feeling. It was beautiful, yeah.
2: I think that's an element that people uh, miss a lot. Now, there's a quote, and it's one of these things, you know, it it, it could be apocryphal. It's probably, people have been saying, you've said it now for 40 years, that uh, every artist is a conceptual artist. I am a con artist, Mm. (laughs) which is very, very funny. If you (laughs) didn't say it, you should take credit for it anyway.
4: Well, I did say it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it shows a sense of humor that I think a lot of times people never got that. You you were wickedly funny, and you wanted to have fun.
4: Yeah, well, you know, I just wanted to say that. But, I mean, in those days, I wasn't scared of anything. Now I can see that it's a very different age and a different world. And you have to be very careful. You don't say things like, I'm a con artist, you know. Mm. In those days, I was just being an artist and said anything I liked, probably.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you hear echoes of what you guys did in Plastic Ono Band when you see something like Sonic Youth perform today?
4: Yeah, well, you know, I I don't want to say that, you know, sort of like anybody the younger people were influenced by us or anything like that because that's precisely the kind of thing that you know your parents would say oh well you know we did that or something you know I don't <laughs> want to say that but I think it's great that you know they're they're sort of based on that sort of situation that we created they went further I think so sure a, yeah yeah
2: oh it's a spirit it's a sp- yeah. I, I think you gave people the feeling that they could do it. And and certainly a lot of uh, young female artists in particular look up to you as being a trailblazer. It's like, you know, look at the amount of crap that this woman took in her lifetime. It's never going to be that hard for me. I can do it, too. I can play guitar. I can do avant-garde music. I can mix hip-hop records. And I'm a woman and nothing's going to stop me.
4: My awareness about being a woman was not that way at all. I was just being myself, you know. Mm -hmm.
2: Yoko Ono on Sound Opinions in 2007, uh, one of our many extraordinary interviews. That that might be right at the top there. Oh, right? yeah.
0: That was so much fun. And this next guest was was a lot of fun, too. Rivers Como Weezer. We've known him for a long time, reviewed him, and we, we were pleased to know that, at least at the time, that Rivers was uh, a listener to Sound Opinions. He tweeted about it once in a while. I don't know if he was a huge fan of the show or of us, but he certainly listened to what we had to say, and I think he definitely heard what we had to say about... His band. And that was part of the reason that he wanted to come into the show and talk with us ab- about himself and about the reasons that he's done the things that he's done in, in Weezer. And it was really one of the most imp- open interviews I think we've ever had with an artist in talking about the basis for their art and
2: the decision making yeah. behind it. As befits a Harvard graduate. You know, what was also extraordinary was the performance, Greg. He did not want to come in and play with Weezer or play solo. He said, find me a band. hmm Right? Right. And I will play my songs with this band. Now, I'm in a garage band. I play, you know, only punk rock dives in Chicago. There was this wonderful mix of Riot girl and glam rock band called Kathy Santonis. It was right. four women. Uh, they're playing their last show this week. They're finally breaking up. And Rivers, from the get-go, knowing I'm going to play with these four punk glam rock women. He just loved this idea. He mm-hmm. wanted to be challenged in yeah. what he played for us. In all the years of doing this show, this is the, uh, one of the most unique tapings we have ever done. It is the most unique taping we've ever done. I feel like Phil Spector today. I do. We feel like producers. Yeah. So first of all, Rivers, welcome. <laughs> Thank you.
5: It's great to be here.
2: And uh, we have a wonderful band who you met all of about 20 minutes ago. They're the Kathy <laughs> Santonis. So Rivers, what the
5: heck are you doing here?
2: What was this idea about?
5: Well, um, I don't know. I just love to mix it up and try different things and play with different musicians from different backgrounds and put myself in uncomfortable situations and, <laughs> and see what happens, live on the edge. and We did it last year with Weezer. We'd invite 100 to 200 Weezer fans down to the show, and they brought their instruments, whatever instruments they happen to have, and we had to make music with these people, and it was, it was super invigorating for me. And then writing songs for Ratitude, I I continued that spirit of collaboration and and reached out to other musicians and songwriters and jammed with them and came up with some of the songs for the record. So I thought it would be fun to not only um, play with some musicians here I'd never met before, the Santonis, but also to involve you guys as producers and and masterminds. (laughs) Uh, Masterminds, I love that (laughs) word. Oh no, it gone, it gone, bye bye To my sweater.
1: Lying on the floor, on
6: the floor, I come
0: undone. That is one of the big accusations that's leveled at you the last few years, is that you're writing for the marketplace. In fact, I said that on the
5: previous record. I thought there's a little bit of pandering almost going on here. It's like you're trying love, to imagine. I love said. that word Yeah, because a lot of critics were saying the same thing, but yeah. they, didn't, they didn't hit the nail on the head. And when, when you used the word pandering, I, I think that really crystallized the whole criticism. Is, that's, what, that's what people think I'm doing.
0: So how do you address that? You're saying you're not doing that. You're not imagining what the marketplace wants and giving it to them. It's, it's
5: coming from a different place. No, um, I, w- I wouldn't go as far as to say that. I mean, I do think of my audience. I also think of like, what, what am I trying to say here? And it's finding the language that I can communicate what's going on inside me to a wider audience. So it's still coming from a personal place is what you're saying. Yeah, it's it starts out from a f- personal place. And then I have to figure out how to communicate it to a, l- a wider audience. Sometimes I don't get it great sometimes it comes off like pandering mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's it's
4: magic
0: that is Rivers Como playing with the Kathy Santonis from 2010 and wow spontaneous combustion
2: right That's instant music in the studio happens here in the moment we want to hear what listeners think. What are your favorite moments from the first 10 years of Sound Opinions? What would you like to hear in the next 10 years? Call us on our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll continue our celebration of 500-plus episodes in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
1: When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you When I go out, Yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you If I get drunk, well I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who gets drunk next to you And if I heave yeah I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna gonna be the man who's heavering to you But I will walk 500 The man who's working hard for you And when the money yeah. comes in for the work I do I'll pass almost every penny on to you
0: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I am Greg Cott, and my partner is Jim DeRogatis, and today we're looking back at, believe it or not, more than five hundred episodes of this
2: show. You can't even say that with a straight face. I know can
0: you? it's just mind boggling, right? But when you do a show for this long, you know we do notice that certain ticks and tendencies start to emerge. Jim, uh, you have cited this guy Lester Bangs, a rock critic, I believe, at one time about oh six or seven thousand times on the show. You have been known to talk about psychedelic rock. Yeah. I have also been known to drop Missy Elliott's name a time or 300, and anything that she's done with Timbaland, an unduly biased opinion yeah. about that. I have been known to reference booty-shaking bass every once in a while. You it's, said it's a lot a about baseline. Mavis Staples yeah. when you were writing that book Mavis about her Staples, many times. Yeah. Yes, that's true. But I think above all, above all of that, there is one guy, one man, who seems to be a constant presence on the show. He's almost like a third member of the team.
2: I get a lot of guff in these parts from my radio partner, Greg Cott, and our producers for dropping the name Brian Eno far too often. I've interviewed Eno at length. You know, Eno told me once, Greg. When I interviewed Eno several times, I've interviewed you too about working with Eno. We
0: talk about Brian Eno a lot on this show. But I
2: think that there's two or three kinds of Eno, at least. The obligatory Eno reference. Thank you, Jim. There's something that doesn't get said about him often enough. He is the philosopher king of popular music, who was as much philosopher as artist. Eno is the founder of this philosophy, sort of a philosopher guru. When you say you like Brian Eno, there's certain philosophies that come along. So when I mention Brian Eno, you often hear this sound on Sound Opinions... Now, I uh, have, have somehow uh, earned the reputation of being the Eno superfan on this show, <laughs> and I guess I am, okay? Well, <laughs> I champion Eno at his best. Wow. Jim, without an unqualified endorsement of a new Eno record, I am I am shocked. I have never said Eno is infallible. But, you know, any Eno is good Eno as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, to have any Eno albums is better than to have no Eno albums. I buy everything Eno's ever done in any media, okay? The fact that 80% of your introduction
0: about a Paul Simon record had to do with Brian Eno makes me wonder if you really... No, it's a Brian Eno record that Paul Simon happens to say
2: on. think I'm a slavish devotee of Eno. you not? The answer is Brian Eno. Then Eno does not truck fools. Now, if you're a regular listener to
0: this show, you know that we drop Eno's name a lot. Brian Eno. And Brian Eno. And Brian Eno. And
2: Brian Eno. And the inimitable Brian Eno. Brian Eno. Brian Eno. Brian Eno. Brian Eno. Brian Eno. Eno. Brian Eno. Brian Eno. 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 Eno Sure, to getting Brian Eno himself on, I can stop doing radio now. It's never going to get better than that. We're joined
0: by legendary producer and electronic music pioneer Brian Eno. Brian,
2: welcome to Sound Opinions. Hello. You see, you know, the thing, Greg, is if you're going to cite somebody who has had many brilliant ideas about rock and roll and we're not talking about each other, you know, I don't see who else to cite besides Brian Eno and Lester Bangs. Did I ever tell you there's this wonderful (laughs) hundred thousand word interview that Bangs did with Eno (laughs) that never got published? It's it's I got it because I was going through his archives writing his book. Anyway, we were asked by our producers to do some of our favorite moments. Eno was one of the great moments, right? We weren't only choosing moments that worked. Nick Cave stood out for both of us. We are both huge Nick Cave fans. We have given many positive reviews to Nick. We have done interviews for the newspapers about Nick, you know, and had great conversations. Man, everything, though, went wrong with this one.
0: To my mind, I'm I'm hearing a lot of songs that potentially in uh, less practiced hands might have been a midlife crisis record, you know, talking about, oh, I'm getting getting older. and well, is, that strutt- a bad, is
3: that a bad thing?
0: No. And it, you did not make it into a bad thing is what I'm saying. And it seemed like this, you know, you're raging in the face of this and also poking fun at it. You're you going to take the opposite tack rather than, than, than sort of letting this get the best of you. You're well, going to well, celebrate.
3: Let, letting what get the best of? Aging. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I don't go for that midlife crisis thing. I never had one. I mean as much maybe as I maybe I'm having uh, one, but I never had one. I just think that's uh that's just one more way of um stopping you from having a good time, man.
2: <laughs> well, because I think I think what we were thinking of, Nick, is is like, you know, you see Lou Reed today and he plays with the the music stand in front of him and he's reading, you know, the lyrics to his new uh songs as if he's giving a, a college lecture. Whereas I, Grant, I
3: saw him play last year, play guitar at a, at a kind of Leonard Cohen thing. Hmm. And he was amazing. He got up there and just slammed into his guitar, and there was none of that kind of stuff. So that. So quite, it was nasty so, again. Well, I don't know if it's. Uh, he's amazing. Yeah. To me, that guy. Can kind of do what he wants anyway, yeah. can't he? Um, I mean, who cares yeah. if he gets I mean, it's not really for us to stand in judgment of that man. Mm-hmm. Us lesser, yeah. us lesser mortals. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly, I'm not actually talking about myself here.
2: Right, 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 right. Yeah. You're talking about yourself, Mick? No, you know, I, I mean, think he's talking about you. Oh, oh, oh I see. Well, I know, but we're critics. <laughs> that's the, what we to do. To the observant. We've uh, been nice listener. to you though. I mean, we both Cotton and I both listed Grinder Man's record last year as one of the best of the year. We we've been uh, waxing rapside. But uh, you know, no, so No, that's
3: that's good. No, but I mean, look, you know, I mean, I am I, I I love Lou Reed. Yeah. Everybody goes through different things to try and get to different places and he seems to continue to sort of be adventurous with what he does. That's I think that's what we try as well. Sometimes it may not be the right place to go or the wrong place. Who knows? It's just um, it's it's just where things have to go on, on occasion. Larry world. made his nest up in the autumn branches. Built from nothing but high
2: hopes and thin air. Nick Cave on Sound Opinions in 2008, uh, really pretty surly with the two of us there. Nonetheless, we don't hold a grudge. We
0: both named Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds Dig Lazarus yes. Dig as Album of the Year
2: that year. It's not personal, And we're ever. still
0: fans, and Nick, you're invited back on the show anytime. anytime. But one of the uh, artists mentioned as part of that interview was Lou Reed, and he factors into our next guest as well. In fact, he was married to this next guest, Laurie Anderson. Mm -hmm. And Lou was back in New York when 9-11 occurred. Laurie Anderson was in Chicago to play a show that night, which I later reviewed, and was the subject of this next interview. You know, you have an amazing vantage point on this whole thing, because on 9-11, you were here in Chicago that morning. Uh, You were scheduled to play a show that night. And that morning, your city was attacked. Um, Lou Reed, the person you've been living with for the last 15 years, 20 years, is blocks away. Lori, how did you sort of process that day and, and decide to go ahead with a performance that night, which, by the way, was an extraordinary event for the people
7: who were there? For me, too. It really was amazing to be singing about the present. That was, because usually you don't, you're never in that situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never. It's like, whoa. And we really didn't, we, we didn't know what was going to happen next. I really like being with people. I trust people. I like being in a group of people. I like that kind of energy. And this is one of the reasons that I bother to go out on tour. I don't just concoct these things in my studio and ship them out and sell them. So, yeah, that evening was uh, very, very intense. It's one of the one of my best memories as a musician of being with people.
0: Mhm. Did you feel like, uh, you know the music was going to be up to the occasion i mean obviously there was all this stuff swirling around uh, in the air what what are we feeling you know this this incredible sense of disconnection and anxiety about what's going to happen next and it's almost like what do you say
7: it's a kind of heightened version of what i always hope it will happen which is to uh, you know that it that it touches people i mean i'm i'm into heartbreaking i Really, that's what I want to do. I want to break my own and other people's, you know. Mm. It's like just open up to music because music can take you places that other things really just never can because it's it's so uh, physical and especially physical when you're in a place, feeling those sound waves pounding on you and it's not just kind of coming through your your computer speaker or your, your, you know, really tiny headphones competing with the street.
0: You know, I wanted to, just to sort of finish up the story about that evening, the last song was a song that obviously was not written for that occasion. Uh, it had been around, Love Among the Sailors. Do you remember that? And those last few lines. Do, would you mind reading it?
7: No, just I don't mind. Just sort of talking it.
0: about it. I mean, I have it in
7: front of me oh, here good. in case you want it. <laughs> yes, I do. There's a hot wind blowing. Plague drifts across the oceans. And if this is the work of an angry God, I want to look into his angry face. There's no pure land now, no safe place. Come with us into the mountains, hombres, sailors, comrades.
0: End of the show. (laughs) Got a dry eye in the house. (laughs) Comrades, boy. That was pretty heavy stuff, and to be able to pull a song like that out at that moment, you know, that was, uh, I think everybody needed that. Uh, I'd
7: forgotten that song was in the show.
0: Yeah, that's the way the night ended. I'll never forget it. Uh, And no one else who was there will forget it either, I'm sure.
7: Isn't music great? Yeah. (laughs) You just can do so many things you just wouldn't do otherwise. Love among the sailors Love among the sailors
0: That was Laurie Anderson on Sound Opinions in 2008. I can't think of a
2: more moving moment on the show, Jim, than uh, that's, that. That's way up there, and it's it's sad that we never got to have Lou Reed on the show. Yes. Although he was a notoriously difficult interview, probably would have even been tougher than our toughest interview ever, Nick Cave. These next people were not tough at all to interview. Every year, we do a live event in the summer with two bands we admire. People get to see us interview them. They perform. It's great. It's at a local Chicago Club In 2013, we had Savages and Parquet Courts, two bands we're huge fans of. I think we're more excited about them than many groups in the last couple of years. It so happens that I know Savages' lead singer, Jenny Beth's sister. She teaches in France. She got her Ph.D. doing a dissertation on the history of rock criticism and interviewed me at length about Lester Bangs. Sorry, there's that name again. So I did a little bit of research before and asked older sister for some dirt on younger sister. And it, it led to a great moment in the interview. <laughs> I said, "Maud, what is the question you would ask your sister?"
6: Oh, oh no! And she
2: sent me this. She sent more of a story than a question. Oh, no. She said, "Oh my God!" Uh, in the summer of 1989, I was seven, and Camille was four. We went to Russia because yeah. our father's a drama director and won a sort of prize. The prize was a tour in Russia with a play directed by our father called 1789. I was young, but I had a small figurative role. Camille didn't have a role. She was too young. I did. Oh, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Well, you know, siblings lie. (laughs) But was allowed to be around on stage during the rehearsals. What I remember is that every night when the play began, Camille would fight, literally punching and kicking our mother begging in order to go on stage. She didn't hurt our mother because she was only four. But she was more so eager to go and play. She never succeeded on getting on stage uh, in Russia that time. But you played there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, did, yeah. Ask her if it was as good as y- it would have been the first time. <laughs> that, that's what Sis wants to know. <laughs> How did it feel to finally get on stage in Russia? And so obviously this desire to make a noise was there early on.
6: No, it's just that I didn't understand the difference between rehearsals and the actual showtime. Because my dad would allow me on stage while they were rehearsing during the day. And uh, so we're just fooling around at the background. And when showtime starts, I wasn't allowed. But I, I have this weird memory where I remember actually managing to get there.
2: <laughs>
8: so I
6: don't know if that's just my mind or uh-huh. the truth, but... And so, yeah. But I had a part in the play. I didn't have anything to say, but I was... uh...
2: (laughs) Well, your sister, who I said is a great rock critic, says, you know, she's as much of an actor on stage as she is a singer, and she's a very good singer. That's not to slight her singing. Do you buy that?
6: Well, I mean, um, I grew up into theatre because my dad and my mother were really into theatre. My dad was a theatre director and a drama teacher, and I studied drama. I went to the drama school, and I was supposed to do that. But what happened when we formed Savages is that I could feel there was this kind of same... You know, there's a moment where I think it's Alan Moore calls it, calls it the fool's leap, where suddenly you take this risk of... Um, not doing necessarily what you were supposed to do or what what you were thinking about doing, you know, when you were younger. And you take that risk and then you, you form a band and you, you, you start something from scratch. And um, I could sense there was these things from the girls as well, and uh, this desire to take the risk, you know. Too many, to convince hire and nothing you ever road. The world's in so we hold, and I'm cold, and I'm cold, and I'm cold, and I'm
2: stupid. Man, Savage is live on Sound Opinions in 2013. I know, Greg, we are both really excited for their second album. But, you know, part of the the danger of being a rock critic, if it lets us down, we will trash it. Absolutely,
0: and at the same time, I remember being really excited for that show that they did for us that night because we hadn't seen them live. I really wanted to see if this band could justify how strongly we felt about that album. I had seen them. More than lived up to it. Top of
2: your head, sawed off, brains on the floor. That was Savages.
0: It was pretty remarkable all around. You know, this next interview, Jim, I have interviewed this particular artist a number of times over the years. You always give me stick about it because you're not a huge fan of the band that he was- uh, I hate Fleetwood Mac. (laughs) The cornerstone of. I think
2: think bands like Savages (laughs) came up To destroy what
0: Fleetwood Mac was doing. (laughs) Well, Lindsey Buckingham is who I'm talking about. And to be honest with you, I actually think his solo work is the stuff that I am most drawn to. But I do also think that when Lindsey Buckingham has been involved in writing and producing Fleetwood Mac, that they made some remarkable pop records that held up over time, and we got into it in this interview because they had just come through town, I had seen the show, the band was without Christine McVie at this particular time, and there was this dynamic between Buckingham and Nix, his ex-lover, ex-girlfriend, whatever you want to call her, that still, after all these decades, was still very tangible when you watch those two performing on stage, so I asked Lindsay about it. It seems like an incredibly untenable situation. I mean, I look back on, I interviewed Mick Fleetwood 20 years ago when his uh, book came out, and he said something like, we're trying to let go personally and cling to each other professionally at the same time. hmm And I wonder, have you ever reflected on the fact that how much did the professional intrude on the personal for you? You know, obviously, you and Stevie were, were a couple going in, and after that album was made, clearly that you were not. Did you think that the professional side of what was happening with Fleetwood Mac influenced your ability to have a relationship with somebody in your own band. I mean, people always say it's really hard to work with your significant other in a professional situation. Was that was that true, you think, with you and Stevie?
8: Well, I think
0: it was true
8: for a couple of reasons. One was that if we had hypothetically remained as Buckingham Knicks, th- there was a parallel thing that we had. I think our set of reference points as Buckingham Nicks was far more similar than it became in Fleetwood Mac. So who's to say that that wouldn't have translated to an easier road for us to stay together as a couple? Another thing, really, is that Christine McVie, when we joined the band, was already on the outs with John McVie. They were married when we joined. And... If Stevie had any of those thoughts, you know, having another woman to (laughs) corroborate with, I think just it either enlarged the the sense of that being the road or it certainly uh, accelerated it, one of the two. And then the last thing is, again, that, that Stevie at some point after the first album, her persona on stage was latched onto and she was in a sense called away by a, a larger world and separated on her own from from me. Mm-hmm. So you've got those three things. You feel
4: good I said it's funny that you understood
0: That was Lindsay Buckingham interviewed on Sound Opinions in 2013 and we're going to continue our celebration of the first 500 plus episodes in a minute with the most legendary argument in the history of the show. Plus, a live performance worthy of the Desert Island Jukebox. That's coming up in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
2: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. And in June, hard to believe, but we hit our 500 episode mark. Greg, uh, over the course of those first 500 episodes, we have expressed a whole lot of opinions. That's what we do. Uh, some of them we may defend to our dying day. Some of them may make us cringe now. I always tell my students, never trust a critic who doesn't occasionally double back on his self or herself. Uh, we live with this art. Our feelings change. Um, but I'm looking at this list of the albums of the year, my number one albums of the year from, from 2005 through 2014. And I wouldn't change any of them. I, I love Commons B. I still love Art Brute, Bang Bang, Rock and Roll. Nick Cave uh, treated us badly when we interviewed him. But I love Man in 2007. I love Dig Lazarus Dig in 2008. I, I'm sticking with these. Yeah, I look back on this list, and I don't
0: cringe in the way I might have had we gone back to, you know, what were your favorite albums in, like, 90, 91? And, you know, like names like Jesus Jones might come up. Uh, That's your big embarrassment. I don't know
2: if I really could stand by that record. I still stand by P.M. Dawn, though, too. Three of the best albums of the 90s. See, like,
0: we go back to the 90s. But I I think over the last 10 years, I I like this list uh, a lot. If I do say so myself, you know, Frank yeah. Ocean, Channel Orange, you know, Wild Flag, Kanye West, Late Registration. We get a lot of stick liking Kanye, but it's you know, a we brilliant the, record. We have, to,
2: no, we have to look forward to the next 500 shows. I think Kanye is a guest that we would kill to have on this show, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, because we've done interviews with him early, early on, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the heck with the Kardashians and, and bum Russian Taylor Swift and all that. I want to talk to him about his art, Neil Young. That's that's my white whale. You've right. interviewed him. I never got to interview him for the paper. I would kill to have Neil Young on this show.
0: Yeah, the other artist I'm looking at on this list, Janelle Monae. We both loved the Arc Android in 2010. Our that's album an artist both that of us. Is Rare that we somebody, both agree. Yes, we would like to have on the show. And I would make a uh, little point about last year's uh, top ten. Kalis, a record I still love. Food, I, yeah. I, I stand by that record, but I'd make it one A or two because I think D'Angelo's Black Messiah, which came out a few weeks after. Our list came out. It snuck it at the end of the year.
2: Grows and grows. Would have been listen. my album of the year That's had I had I a do-over on 2014. Yeah, it came out just weeks before the the end of the year. Anyway, you want lists, go to soundopinions.org anytime. we got a million lists. But I think, Greg, if anybody had to list the number one running battle you and I have had over 10 years on public radio, seven years before that on commercial. 17 years we've done this? Holy. <laughs> All right. It's one guy, and he comes from New Jersey like I do. Yeah, you would think you'd love him.
0: On its 30th anniversary, Born to Run has been re-released, reissued as a one-CD, two-DVD box set that Jim, even though you're sitting there gnashing your teeth, pounding your fist— There's blood dripping on the floor. You are so upset about this. Uh, I think this is one of the... uh, I'm wondering uh, if iconic is another uh, adjective for crap. Yeah. No, it's not. And in this case, uh, if you're a Springsteen fan, you already know that this album is a great record. And and really established himself as the next
2: big uh, arena rocker. It's interesting to note that this record came out at the same time and place, roughly, as... The Ramones' earliest recordings, Patti Smith's earliest recordings, they're all gearing up at the same time and place. I would say that Patti Smith, the Ramones, were looking forward, and Springsteen was looking back. You know, Springsteen to me is the most unjustly hyped artist in the history of rock and roll. You know, he was a a backward looking, way overhyped, ultra romantic, self important, joyless. Silly, nostalgic. Wow. Uh,
0: I just. Uh, You know, that's not a
2: word that I would have used for this record.
0: There's a lot of joy in this
2: record. You know, he was making a. A movie. No, he uh, wasn't, a, no. A, a, about a long summer night. I've said this to you before, and I will say it again, and I will fight anyone who disagrees with me, because I am from Jersey, and I am from the mean streets of Jersey. Oh, the mean City, streets you know, of he's, Jersey. He's from I'm the scared. Burbs. He I'm grew scared. up in the Burbs. You know, it's like, give <laughs> me a break, man. Jersey City would have eaten him alive. Listen, Meatloaf was better than Bruce Springsteen. Shortly to follow the release of Born to Run would come a true classic album that actually lives up to the, all the hype that you're talking about. All right, so. Bat out of hell. So if you're going to Perhaps do, the most if you're gonna do teen melodrama, I've ever heard you say. Go with Meatloaf. Meatloaf at least was a cartoon and it go was with fun Meatloaf. and it was stupid. As far as blowing up the 50s cliche into classic rock 70s excess, Meatloaf did it right. Springsteen did it badly. You haven't listened to this record in 30 years. The only That's thing not true. I got this record. I had to listen to it again and look at all the pictures of him with his stupid buff tank top t shirt showing his muscles, <laughs> looking like Mr. Sensitive. Uh, the, only thing meatloaf, ah, the, only thing, the only thing
0: Meatloaf's good for is putting ketchup on. I just don't believe that you uh, would even equate an artist like Springsteen with Meatloaf.
2: Uh, Springsteen is 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 on the same level to me as Billy
0: Joel's. You know what? This album came out at a time when, for someone like myself, who did not grow up in the 50s and 60s, this was kind of like a, a reminder of, like, oh yeah, maybe this is what people were talking about with like the Stones and people like that. When they were first coming up and there was a sense of Hey, this stuff's important. This stuff can change your life. I felt like that when I heard this album for the first time. I was a yeah. teenager, and this album made a difference to me. There a lot of other first album did that for me. <laughs> yeah. I heard the Ramones and album, and I I'm felt the same with thing. That. Yeah, I, I heard the Ramones album six months later, but I don't see why you have to love one and hate the other. To my mind, Springsteen was making the same kind of dramatic uh, statements that the Ramones were making, but uh, on a totally different plateau. He All was, right. well, he was well, more
2: R&B. Yeah, go ahead, play your Springsteen. Let's get on with it, and then get <laughs> some good music on Sound Opinions. Take my baby to picture show.
0: That was one of many arguments that we've had about the boss. And yeah. uh, are you still going to stand by that
2: meatloaf stuff that Absolutely. you believe in meatloaf as I, a greater artist yes. than Springsteen? Yeah, I, you still I think, believe it. I think we need to do, somewhere in the next 500 shows, a classic album dissection of Bat Out of Hell. I will not go to Bat for Bat Out of Hell 2. Jim, we have to talk about
0: the Desert Island jukebox. One of our favorite segments on Sound Opinions is the DIJ. And it's the point in the show where we pick tracks we cannot... Live without beginning with our soundtrack for that segment, which yeah. is the, uh, the Saints, Saints Stranded. performing Stranded. Yeah. That is one of the great songs of all time. Yeah, that's in our DIJ. And uh, right now, that DIJ is stuffed with 200 songs. You can see them all if you go to soundopinions.org, and it's a pretty varied list, I think. It's Gloria
2: Jones with the original version of Tainted Love, The Message. By Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Daniel Marconi. From the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is one of the best bands, I'm sorry, bar none, that Chicago has ever produced. Screeching Weasel. Missy Elliott, one of the great producers of our time. Here's Take the Long Way Home by Supertramp. Johnny Cash with Ring of Fire. What a Man by Salt and Pepper. Naked Ray Gun, Home of the Brave. Cry of the Wild Goose. The ultimate in absurdity of Frankie Lane. She's not a little girl from Green, Plastic Land with Mink Dress, Some Velvet Morning from Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra, Wild Thing by Tom Loke, one of the great pieces of art of the last, like, hundred years. Okay. No kidding. Those are just a few of the songs that we played on the
0: Desert Island Jukebox, and you can reference them all at soundopinions.org. And it's, this next one, I think, qualifies as well. It came out of a live performance uh, with Radiohead, two members of Radiohead came in, coming in. I'll never forget this. It is a dreary, rainy Father's Day in 2006. Tom York, Johnny Greenwood coming in. Right up front, you know, it, it was known for weeks. They're not going to perform. It's just no. an interview. We're, we're happy to do that. But you know what? We just strategically left, happened to leave in a, a guitar in the corner of the room. and Oh, there, there happened to be that grand piano well, well, sitting we, over it there. was a little more plenty we than just, that.
2: We'd gotten it tuned.
0: Yes, we were just kind of ready for any potential occasion to yes. Occur, Le- leaving, uh, creating a scenario where if they wanted to play, yeah. or could be persuaded to play. Well, this has happened many times. The
2: Flaming Lips did that. You know, I mean, there's a piano there. Well, we'll play. Yeah. yeah,
0: spontaneous performance, and they ended up. We ended up getting a solo rendition of Tom York performing "I Want None of This," which I think is a real keeper from our 500 shows. If you guys, uh, if you want to play anything, we would be uh, honored. That would be un- unbelievable.
4: You could do something on piano. What, why, me? Well... <laughs>
3: you, know. you
4: got stuff.
0: No instruments, mate, sorry.
4: There's a piano over there.
0: Yeah, right here. It, it is allegedly the best piano in Chicago. It's
4: mic'd up and everything. Why don't you go and do something? Or something if I words, do something,
2: and then you have to do something, even if it's just instrument. That's
4: right. That's, that's true. true, yeah, I think you that's a fair. fair. Yeah, only fair. That's only fair. No, I'm
3: not playing that. Yay. I'll play something with you, but
4: not... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a chicken. I keep chickens, I'm a chicken. <laughs>
6: So which
4: one am I going to do, John John?
8: So
7: Don't get stuck
8: on a dream
2: Tom York playing Radiohead's I Want None of This on Sound Opinions in 2006. Absolutely extraordinary. Greg, what extraordinary thing do we have on the show next week? Jim, it is
0: going to be extraordinary. We're going to roll out some of our favorite songs on our 2015 mixtapes.
2: Greg, we've got a longer-than-usual list of thank-yous, first and foremost, to WBEC, everybody here, but especially our current overseer, goalie, Sheikha Salami, and our distributor, PRX, our sponsors, especially Goose Island, been with us a long time, the Goldschmidt Foundation, some of the people who were instrumental in bringing the show to public radio, Tori Malatia, Allison Shally, Todd Bachman, Mike Danforth, our, our producer that we brought from commercial radio, Matt Spiegel, Annie Minoff, Michael DeBonis, Anthony Martinez, our video guru, Andrew Gill, our studio pros, Mary Gaffney and Adam Yaffe. Boy, do we throw them some challenges. Our underwriting rep, uh, Gary Yonker, our current staff, Alex Claiborne, Evan Chung, and all of the interns through the years, most of all, the listeners and all of the stations that air us. And, Craig, I think there are two people in particular. Yes,
0: indeed. I would agree 100% with that. Uh, in fact, they probably are the reason
2: this show has made it through 500. We're talking about Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. I think there are four people that make Sound Opinions what it is today. Uh, it's us two boobs and the two of them. <laughs> so thank you. Happy holidays, everybody, from Sound Opinions. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800.
7: We've only just begun to live White lace and promises A kiss
5: for luck and we're on
4: New messages.
6: Rolling. Hi, this is Nico Case. Hey, let me talk to him. This is Kelly Hogan, and we want to both say... Congratulations, congratulations, Jim Jim and Greg, on your 500th episode. episode. How about that? How about them apples? We made you who you are. Don't forget that. Lots of love <laughs> to sound opinions. And WBEZ Chicago. Love to you guys. We Woo! love you. Congratulations. All right, 500 more. Hurry, right now. Go. So the same never the
8: concrete Hey, Jim and Greg, it's Peter Sago calling from NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I want to congratulate you guys reaching 500 episodes, quite a landmark, quite an achievement. I'm hoping that maybe in the second 500 episodes, you can finally get to my favorite genres of music, which are basically tuban throat singing and uh, Baroque harpsichord music played on original instruments. ¶¶ This is for Jim and Greg, this is John Cale, and I heard that you are having a 500th
4: anniversary. Uh, that's amazing, guys. I mean, good work. Uh, very productive times, and uh, keep it up. I'll see you in another 500.
1: All the best. Hey,
0: Jim and Greg. Ira Plato from Science
8: Friday here, calling to say congratulations on episode 500, the big 500. Now, can you believe in all those 500 episodes? You've only devoted one to disco. Don't you two know that trick to staying alive on public radio is more BGS? Anyway, keep those tunes coming. Congratulations.
2: Hey, this is Patrick from the Black Keys.
0: And I just want to say congratulations on your 500th episode of Sound Opinions. Hi, this is Paul Krugman. I want to congratulate Sound Opinions on 500 episodes. They've been improving people's taste and enjoyment in music
8: all along. Hope to continue. Thanks. Hey,
7: this is Amy Mann, and I'm calling to congratulate Jim and Greg on their 500th episode. Uh, you guys are awesome, and I appreciate what you were doing. And keep it up. You're doing the Lord's work. Thank you.
8: Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Josh Ritter. I'm just calling to wish you guys many congratulations on the 500 show. Looking forward to many more.
5: Hope you're both well. I'll be All the right, listening. Bye-bye. Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Roman Mars, your former colleague at WBEZ and now of 99% Invisible. Congratulations on 500 episodes of excellent radio. If people knew how hard surviving this long while maintaining this level of quality really was, they'd be throwing a parade for you down Michigan Avenue today. But you all made it, and the rock and roll-loving public is better for it. Thanks for your service, guys. Congratulations.
4: Hi Greg. Hi Jim. It's Mavis. Congratulations to you and W B E
8: Z on your 500 episodes. I know a
4: place. No more messages.